Good afternoon, everyone. We are convening the Marin County Housing Authority Board of Commissioners meeting of uh, May 16th. 2023. We will start with approval of the minutes of April 18th, 2023. Can I ask if there's any board comments or public comments on the minutes? Not seeing anyone in the chambers. Uh, and I'm not seeing anyone online to comment. So, uh, is there, could I have a motion and a second to approve? I'll move approval of the minutes. Thank you. Motion by Lucan, second by Sackett. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. We'll move now to the Board of Commissioners matter and the Executive Director's report. Uh, any Board of Commissioner matters? Okay. I will just uh, say, and I know I've mentioned this quite a bit, but uh, Friday, uh, Doreen Gennard and I went to the opening of Light Tree in East Palo Alto, and that's a project that was... Um, both a rehab and uh, new units uh, for a total of 185 uh, completely affordable rental units. Uh, Eden Housing was the developer, and I had a chance to talk with them. Uh, and it was, a, it was the effort of so many people not only to fund it, but a pro-housing organization <coughs> called East Palo Alto Can Do uh, in, uh, in East Palo Alto. So great project. Uh, and and uh, made me appreciate all, all that it takes to renovate and expand on uh, our affordable housing. So, Kimberly, you had come visited with me last year to see it under construction. It was really great to see it all put together. It was a beautiful project. And, uh, and they said great things about you down there, too, uh, from Eden Housing. That's right. <laughs> Anyways, uh, with that, I'll turn it over to you, Kimberly. Okay, well, thank you for that. And I, I'm, I am sorry I missed it this time because it was a great project. It is a great project. Okay, well, good afternoon, commissioners. Um, I, um, with my director's report today, what I would like to do as a part of our uh, county, I'm sorry, as a, as a part of our community's continuum of care services to end chronic homelessness, Marin Housing Authority has operated the Shelter Plus Care Permanent Supportive Housing Program since 1993. This has been a highly successful program for the past 30 years. Last year, Marin Housing Authority received an additional funding from the County of Marin to create the new position of a clinical, a clinical director to support the case managers and the clients of the Shelter Plus Care program. And I wanted to take this opportunity to highlight this highly effective program so I've asked Dr. Testa, our Shelter Plus Care Clinical Director, to provide a brief overview of our program that helps chronically homeless individuals with co-occurring disabilities to find and to remain housed in Marin County. Can you all hear me? Great. Thanks for having us here today. Um, I am Dr. Erin Testa, and I am the clinical supervisor of the Shelter Plus Care team. And this position was um, sort of the, the vision of the previous teams for the last 30 years. They were really hoping to have somebody come in to support them with all of the, the mental health and sort of humanitarian aspects of the job. Um, I come from a background of, you know, 20 years of private practice, teaching at the graduate level, and all kinds of 
other trainings and working with humanitarian aid in other countries. And so coming into this position was, was really a fun one and a, a major adventure, actually. <laughs> I had started the STAR program about 23 years ago with Joel Fay and Miles Kramer. So I had some knowledge of what was the Shelter Plus Care program and really grateful. I actually worked with Kimberly as a case manager uh, through Shelter Plus Care. I was a forensic psychologist for that team. And we just stayed in touch through the years and she told me about this position. I came into it and it's this wonderful team of, let's see, we have like four direct case managers, a peer provider, one of our case managers is also through the Center for Domestic Peace, working directly with uh, domestic violence survivors. Um, all of our clients, there's over 100 clients that either experience uh, mental health diagnosis or some other substance use diagnosis. Many of them, lots of trauma, very, very severe trauma, probably the most vulnerable people in our communities. Um, and all of them with chronic homelessness. So. It's been, it's been a real pleasure. I think we're seeing a shift, hopefully, within our communities, an openness to having our population of clients become neighbors. Um, that's, that's, that's a really important part of this vision, is that we all have to be open to it. And fortunately, I've had the uh, just one of my favorite parts of this job is to connect with all the other nonprofits. And we have a wonderful community of nonprofits and county uh, social workers and teams that work together in a way that a lot of what we get done would never get done otherwise. You know, we don't work in silos anymore. When I worked for STAR, that was starting to happen. And then I don't, you know, things start to happen that pull people apart. and. We duplicate services, and that's not happening so much anymore. We work as like one big team, which is really exciting. And um, I just can pick up the phone and call anybody, and it's it's really great. So, is there anything else you think that I miss? Okay, all right. Thanks for this opportunity. Yes, of course. All right. Any questions? I, I just I had one, which is so. Can you are you supporting all of the uh, the public housing uh, sites? Well, our our program is specifically for chronically homeless and oh, for chronically homeless uh -huh, and mental health or substance use. Yeah, and uh, Sam actually is the program manager of all the supportive housing sites. Right. Yeah. So then, is there interface with downtown streets team, or again trying to understand how this all works together? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we, they're one of our partners that we work with with our clients. A lot of times, our, the, the Shelter Plus Care case managers are both mental health clinicians, and they support them with housing. So it's, it's two really big roles. <laughs> it's almost like taking two people and putting them into one. Um, downtown Streets is on the street working yeah. with folks. And, um, you know, so a lot of times we have the same clients, and we work with them, and I talk to them almost every day. <laughs> Right. So then a question for you and Kimberly. So for the anchor outs on Richardson Bay, we're going to be transitioning them into housing, we hope. Mm -hmm. So then how is care being now being provided by Shelter Plus? How, how does that transition when they go into housing? 
so that's a really good question. We are working right now with the Health and Human Service Department and the RBRA, and one of the suggestions that we have on the table is the possibly to have Aaron oversee that case manager who would be providing the, the support to the anchor outs. So we're still we're still working that out, um, and because there there is a they've had a hard time finding a, a good case manager. So if we can do that, we think we could do a great job. And then we'll have a housing navigator working hand-in-hand hand with that person. So it's a, it would be really a highly successful model to have it all in-house under the housing authority. Yeah, I would think the continuity would for mm -hmm. the clients would be great. Right. So, okay, well, I jumped in. Do my colleagues have any questions? Yeah, please. So... Um, so the, the shelter, shelter plus care, though, is also a specific funding stream, yes? Am I? Yes. The shelter plus care is a HUD funded for scattered site Section 8 vouchers, really. They are, they're like Section 8. We have 55, I believe, about 75 uh, vouchers throughout the county. And then we also use some other funding. So I think all in, you guys have about 100 and some clients. And that, that we serve, but that is specific funding, and it's scattered side all, all throughout the county. So the 100 clients, some are funded through Shelter Plus Care, some through potentially other programs, is that, and then when we're talking about the anchor outs, if you potentially, Dr. Testa, providing that clinical supervision, it wouldn't be under maybe necessarily a Shelter Plus Care funding mechanism, mm -hmm. but yeah. bringing your expertise to a very similar kind of service, frankly, um, which is the, the care part uh, on the opposite of shelter or housing. Yeah, I just want to, yeah, there's so many programs funding housing and, frankly, case management for folks, um, and it's managing all those streams, but it, ultimately it's the same kind of attention and service, just maybe with different funding streams. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, I would say, you know, our program is really committed to the care component of it because that shows the best outcomes you know you have to see people more intensively when they first move in and you know depending on the individual less so as you move on but that continued care is really what you know keeps them a lot of them just don't have anybody else you know right. so when we visit them that sort of is an anchor for them so one last question if you don't mind so the I don't know, 600-plus folks that have been um, housed through our Housing First program are chronically homeless folks coming through coordinated entry. Some of them may or may not be in the Shelter Plus Care program. A lot of them are in scattered site, though, the majority, mm -hmm. right, versus in, you know, a, a homeward bound or a, a home key project. Right. And in those projects, like a, um, like a Jonathan's Place or a home key, the care is coming through a different uh, model and funding source. Yes, there are some folks who don't have case management. They have a voucher that came from homelessness. Um, they weren't high utilizers or high need in that way. Maybe they, you know, they have full-time jobs themselves and they, don't you know, they it. don't need our support. Yeah. Okay. Great. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. I, I just want to say, too, that, uh, you know, Dr. Testa has really brought a, a new level of support to not only the clients, obviously the clients, but the but the case managers. It's a tough job that these folks have, and uh, 
and that she just comes with this compassion and care and expertise that's really made the whole team feel like it's gelling. So I am really grateful to have her be part of the team and that we were able to get this additional funding to bring this level of support to this, to this really important team. And you know, I, Aaron, Aaron has worked in the community for a long time and really has a compassion. And so I feel we both have sons that go to Archie Williams High School as sophomores on the football team there. So that's even another connection. <laughs> and our husbands coach together. So. And husbands coach together. So it's a nice connection all the way around. Oh, that's um, great. Okay, so thank you. Thank I you very it. much, Dr. Testa. And yeah, it takes a village right there on the football sidelines. <laughs> <laughs> that's where this all got hatched, on the football sidelines. Um, okay, and then I... <laughs> I'm sorry. Yes, please finish your report, and then I see... Okay. Um, as, a, as a reminder also, I wanted to just let you know that the Vivillon waiting list is still open until this Friday, May 19th, for low-income applicants who are 62 years of old, um, or older. This program will be managed by Eden Housing, and 10% um, of the applicants will be referred through the coordinated entry. So there will be a homeless um, service component there as well. Um, and um, to, have to provide the permanent supportive housing. Applications are available online and um, on our website and, and our, both of our offices at 4020 in, in, Marin, in um, San Rafael and then our Marin City office. And currently, as of today, we have about 450 applicants on that list, seniors um, looking for affordable housing. I also wanted to follow up to a comment that came out of last month's meeting. Um, I want to report that we had 28 Golden Gate Village families that received the over-under housing preference for the Housing Choice Voucher Program this year. And um, out of that, 20 of those families were able to find units here in Marin County, across the county. And we have uh, folks that found housing in San Rafael, Novato, uh, Marin City, Tiburon, Larkspur and Fairfax and then we had one family that ported to Contra Costa to be closer to some family but that was really exciting and then we have seven families who are still searching and look working with our housing navigator so what and, and I will bring um, at the next board meeting I'll bring an, a, a more of a global picture of the full housing choice voucher program and where vouchers are across the county I I know I spoke to Commissioner Rice about this, is that we used to do this a lot, and I would share where people ported and if people ported and where people live and throughout the county, just to give a real global picture of our program. So I, I will do that um, at July. Um, the, I wanted to let you know the BMR program will hold a lottery for a BMR home in the headlands of Marin City this Thursday. We currently have 100 applicants in the lottery and 20 that have the Marin City live or work preference. So those 20 will be first, the first to um, be drawn from the lottery. And that will happen Thursday. So be exciting to share next month that we have a new um, homeowner. Um, public housing, the, the public housing update. On Saturday, April 22nd, uh, in honor of Earth Day, Marin Housing hosted a community cleanup day in Marin City in partnership with, Mar with the Performing Stars and and other local nonprofits. We had over 50 volunteers participate, including Supervisor Moulton Peters and Sausalito Mayor Melissa Blaustein. This was a wonderful community event to share the Golden Gate Village renovation and restoration that's planned with the larger Marin community. And we collected over 2,900 pounds of general debris. So, so I guess that was a pretty good successful day and it was a fun day. 
Um, we received 689 pre-applications for the Golden Gate Village public housing waiting list that was, op that was open this month. And we have 280 applicants remaining after we removed 409 applicants that did not meet the qualifications for the three or four bedroom units. Um, and then as a reminder, we are opening the waiting list again for two bedrooms, three bedrooms, and four bedrooms This um, that will open begin this Monday, May 22nd, until June the 9th. So that will, that's happening. And those, uh, there's information here at the front and we, that's also on our website, information about the announcement. The public housing team conducted special unit inspections this month in response to the Golden Gate Village Resident Council's um, some surveys that the council got um, from residents. The staff is currently addressing all in all the work orders created from these inspections, and during um, during this, uh, these inspections had the opportunity to share with residents all of the renovation plans that are upcoming. So that was a success, and those are we are currently working on all the work orders that were generated. Four families moved into public housing last month at both the Golden Gate Village and our senior properties, and we hope to have 10 families move in in this month of May. Um, a physical needs assessment of the senior disabled five sites that are scattered throughout the county. Are, um, we're going to be doing these physical needs assessments this month, and we'll, it'll have a report by the middle of June, which will really help drive our capital improvement budgeting and planning for this year. And I'm happy to announce that we hired a new maintenance coordinator for public housing. Um, we hired, who is also a, a public housing resident. Her name's Kelly Darling. She has extensive, um, extensive experience in both maintenance management and providing maintenance training programs to, to staff. So we are really excited that Kelly has joined our team. And we are currently interviewing for a maintenance on-call technician, and um, we did have a really great candidate, and we, are, and we have made an offer, so we're hoping he will be starting with us in the near future as well. Um, also, a request for proposals is currently on our website and published on our open.gov platform for landscaping, our landscaping contract, which will be for um, Golden Gate Village and our five senior properties and as well as our administrative offices. And this closes on May the 22nd. And then lastly, I just want to give an update on our Golden Gate revitalization. So the Marin Housing Authority and the Golden Gate Village Resident Council met to discuss the elements of the request for qualifications for a development partner on April 27th. A draft of the RFQ was provided to the Resident Council for review on May 3rd. And after review, we plan to finalize and publish the um, RFQ for a development partner on May 22nd of this month. Um, we, we have invited members to participate in an evaluation committee who will help us review the proposals that we receive and to help make a re recommendation with the goal of bringing the development contract to this board in September to make a, a um, to, to um, be able to move forward with the development partner. We are having our listening sessions. We had the fourth one last month where about the resident investment fund decision makers, what it was held. Uh, the goal of this session was to determine how to involve more residents in leadership at Golden Gate Village and to understand what the barriers to their involvement may be. The listening session focused on the creation and composition of the group of residents who will form the resident investment fund advisory committee the body that makes the decisions for this fund. So we're still in the process of working with the resident council and the community to make to 
finalize what that committee, who that committee will be. And then through a ballot process, 10 residents have expressed an interest in serving the community by serving on the Golden Gate Village Resident Council Board. A candidate's night was held on May 8th, during which the community was able to ask questions of the candidates prior to voting, and the, vote, the voting all happened yesterday. And once this board is seated and appointed um, by the resident, council, by the resident um, Golden Gate Village residents, the Marin Housing Authority will work with the resident council to provide the necessary training that the new board will need. So we're excited to, to work with the resident council on that. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Kimberly. Any questions? I'm not seeing any. I have a more question, if I may. So on the, um, the 689 pre-applications for the waiting list, the 409 who were removed, were they given an indication that they can reapply starting May 22nd? I'm going to let Suzanne Joyce answer that. She managed the, the, the wait list for us. I think you're on. Oh, I'm on. Um, so we sent out a, a, a removal letter to all those um, applicants on Monday, basically explaining why they were not qualified to be on the wait list. And all the announcements that were reopening the wait list has been sent to these applicants as well. So they can reapply at the same time? No, they were not. Yes, I, I, what I'm struggling with is just sort of is, you know, is that a barrier by saying you're not on this one, you're off, but if you get another piece of paper, do you recognize that that's a different list as opposed to a new one to um, give those folks an opportunity to apply if they would qualify for this second round? Um, and just I don't to make sure I don't think there will be a, a huge barrier because I would say about 90, 95% of the applicants that didn't qualify was for the size, the occupancy limit, which for a three and four, three bedroom was three people. So anybody that had less than three people in the household, and we, it was very, it was explained on that letter. So I don't think that will be a barrier because the two bedroom, we will be able to um, accept them to the wait list. Thank you. Okay. If there are no further comments on the board or questions, I'll open for public comment. Is there anyone in the chambers? I'm Chris Brown, um, West, uh, Main Street Moms in West Marin and Friends of Golden Gate Village in Marin, Marin. I have a comment, a compliment, and questions about maintenance meetings. Uh, Kimberly in her written report, no, just reported on interviews for a new on-call technician, and that's good news. Last month, MHA corrected an outreach problem uh, you may recall the GGV newsletter and calendars had incomplete information about how residents can meet in person with the maintenance staff. To correct this, MHA distributed a flyer with the time, date, and purpose of the meeting. It was clear and welcoming, and I believe the flyer was delivered door-to-door, -door, a method of outreach that um, Commissioner Canson 
recommended as highly effective at Golden Gate Village, and so I think should be ongoing. And three days after the flyer was delivered, seven residents attended, more than triple the number of the past three months. One resident returned last week to thank the maintenance team for addressing three of the issues she brought to them. Unfortunately, there is a glitch in outreach for the maintenance meeting next Thursday, May 25th. The flyer says it's from 1 to 2. The calendar says it's at 10. Which time is it? Are residents welcome to drop in? Who is coordinating the information? And how are residents supposed to know about this? How are you, the commissioners, overseeing the effectiveness of outreach? Each of you has stated your commitment to respect for residents. Scheduling meetings is not enough. Finally, a flyer that reaches residents for next week's meeting with the correct time and date and clarity as to whether residents are welcome to drop in during the hour is essential. These details show respect. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, I'm not seeing any other comments here in the chambers. Let's, I know we have at least one commenter online. The first speaker is Eva. Please unmute. Thank you. This is Eva Kutanti. Um, sorry for the background noise. There's a little wind. Um, I wanted to let you know that since the last time you met, um, there was an in-depth article that deals with housing in Marin County and touches on Marin City uh, that was published in the New York Review of Book books uh, along the home of Susan Sontag and Joan Didion. Uh, this article was many months in the making. Uh, the author is a young writer named Piper French. And this, uh, this article um, puts to shame our local media. It's, it's a much more nuanced and sophisticated uh, article about housing than you'll see from either the IJ or the Sun. And it should be read. Uh, it is online. Really, uh, you can read it for free just by punching in your email address. Uh, but I think it's an important article. Um, it's notable to me that um, the the board of supervisors in the MHA um, consistently uh, deny the existence of articles that are written outside of the county for media they can't control, um, and so. You know, this follows in the pattern. Their failure to mention this in commissioners' matters uh, rhymes with their um, refusal to acknowledge the New Yorker magazine article on the uh, so-called SSA internment camp under a freeway in San Rafael. Uh, to point out that writers uh, outside the county uh, will continue to investigate uh, what's happening here. I am still following the story archives of Chris Rizzi, his fight for cooperative-owned housing in Red City, which appears to be watched uh, by Vera Schultz uh, because her, her baby, the thing she really cared about, was Frank Lloyd Wright's building um, at Civic Center. So I just wanted to give you guys a heads up on that, um, and I'll have more to say about Risley later. Thank you. Councilman Mold Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, thank you. We'll bring it back. Um, Kimberly, if you wanted to address just how we might address the, the timing issue on the maintenance and how to get the word out. 
Yes, I, I do apologize that it sounds like there was some confusion on our newsletter and the flyer that went out, but we will we can create a new flyer and go door to door. And this is a this is a great. Um, we're hoping we'll get more residents at this. At that we are right now, we're really not getting. As Ms. Brown said, we are we had seven at the last meeting, but historically we've not had very we've had very few residents. So we really do want to encourage more residents. So we will we will absolutely get out and and make sure people know that that's happening at the correct time. Thank you. You know, Some suggestion. Yes, please, Kimberly. You might want to consider where you just have staff there from ten to ten to two, and cover the, all the hours that they might have found in the calendar and. The notice and save the time of reprinting and delivering those all. It might be less, more efficient, even. So, just a suggestion. Okay, that's a good. That's a good suggestion. Okay. Yeah, I I see you. Did you want to speak on this item? Yeah, we'll we'll reopen public for just a moment. I'm Marguerite Moriarty. I've been here before, and I'm going to try to be more composed and less emotional. Um, but as a concerned citizen and someone who's spent some time in Golden Gate Village now, um, I really think it's essential that um, the Marin Housing Authority and the supervisors, everyone, um, communicate clearly with the resident council and the people that live there. You know, we went door to door checking about the repairs, saw some of the disrepair that's down there. Um, and uh, that's all I'll say on this right now. But I really think it's essential, and I think Chris referred to the fact that it's respectful. Thank you. Okay, we'll close public comment now. Kimberly, thank you for the report and to your team. Uh, and uh, however you want to deal with the, the maintenance meeting uh, is fine, as long as we get the word out there or Dennis's suggestion or both. Uh, we're going to move on now to the next item, uh, which is uh, uh, contract uh, for whole person care in the amount of 600000 for emergency rental assistance pilot program. Kimberly, will you be presenting on this? Yes, I will. So this came, this. Um, contract really came out of a homeless summit we had last in 2021 and what we really realized we were having a the housing first guru came to speak to the the county all of us and one of the things that really became clear to me is that as the housing authority is trying to play a very integral role in in providing the subsidies and we've we've allocated our um, a lot of our vouchers to help address chronic homelessness we really needed the so to speak, quarterback or the center person to help manage all of this information that comes in from the case managers, the clients, the landlords, and, uh, and the community at large. And so this role, this, this, this contract is really going to help us provide this pivotal person who can really help field a lot of these questions and streamline the work that's needed to get clients doc document ready to move forward and to make sure there's a great communication between the housing authority and the outside um, stakeholders, landlords and case managers. And, um, and so this will be, this person, um, this new position will really help us do that and help manage the court, be part of the coordinated entry. We work with that 
as, um, as Dr. Testa talked about, there's really one large group of um, providers that we work almost as one large agency to really try to break down barriers and make sure we get people housed as quickly as we can. So this person's going to play an integral role on that and also work very closely with the Housing Choice Voucher Program, Suzanne Joyce and her team, to really help manage and get vouchers out as quickly as possible. Additionally, with the $600,000, we will also be uh, providing our a local um, housing program that will be able to house 10 additional individuals that we want to work that we're working with through coordinated entry. So it's really a great program. I think I think it's going to be a great program. We're really excited to get going, and hopefully, um, this will be a, a, a just a, one more avenue of of helping people get housed quicker and remain housed. Um, kind of question slash comment. Mm -hmm. um, so, Kimberly, I'm really, really happy to see this. And the the homelessness summit was actually last year, 2022. Oh, it was. Seems like a lot longer it ago does. than that. But <laughs> frankly, I, I just wanted to make that note because um, you know, within within a year, which seems like a long time, I'm sure folks in the private sector sort of acting on this recommendation. And I just I think it's really key because we can we have great case management. We're, you know, attached to the clients, and then mm -hmm. we have the housing authority working to identify landlords and expand our landlord partnership program, but we didn't have somebody who had relationships, you know, across the board, and I see this fitting, especially that person who can interact even just that much more with the landlord and un totally understands the client as well. So I just think it's really great, and I'm really thankful to the county coming up with the money to fund this and I see that it's a two-year fixed-term position but I think it's gonna be really important to measure its mm -hmm. success um, and um, hopefully it, it that measurement will be high and make the case for making it a permanent type of position in two years thank you thank you thank you for your comment slash question <laughs> <laughs> there are other questions okay I think I have a comment okay. so if you want me to wait I will yeah Let's take public comment on this item. Is there anyone in the chambers? Okay, I'm not seeing anyone. I know we had some public comment online. Wayne Smith, please unmute. Reading the staff report on this item confirms and reinforces my assertions as to the consequences of the Green New Deal's impact on energy resources and their costs. The impact of limited natural gas supplies and price is directly a consequence of the Clayton, intermittency of excuse the, me. Yes. Clayton, I think you want to comment on our next item, which is okay. the utility award. Wanna to, wanna to hold oh, it until okay. then? All right. Thank I you. will. Thanks. Great. Thank you. Okay. The next speaker is Johnson Reynolds. Please unmute. Yeah, just to clarify, this uh, six hundred thousand dollars is for one person or two years to help uh, potential renters in Golden Gate Village and other places in the public realm to get documents ready, or what else is it to do? Um, that's the question, the question I have. President Mullen Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Great, okay, Kimberly, I wonder if you could provide some additional detail on the position. Sure. This is a, it's a for two years to hire a staff person for two years. 
and to provide housing assistance payments. So on average, we spend about 2200 a little of maybe like $2,300 per person per month for housing. So that will, so part of this is for that, to provide 10 individuals with, with housing, and then also for two years worth of a, uh, the housing coordinator. So it's fair to say that a substantial amount of the funding goes to these housing payments for the 10 people? Yes, yes. Yeah, at 2200 or whatever it is a month for 10, we can do the math, that adds up. So. And I just to clarify, this, this position won't just be helping the 10, these 10 vouchers. We have a lot with our emergency housing vouchers, mainstream vouchers, shelter plus care vouchers, all these other vouchers, the, the set-aside Section 8 vouchers, they'll really be playing the, the, the um, point person on all of those vouchers to make sure the folks who are getting them are getting all the supports. And, and whoever their landlords are and case managers are, that everyone's getting the information and through quickly. That's a lot of coordination. A lot. <laughs> person is ready. A lot, of them are, a lot of them are folks who have been housed and are stable, and so there's, yeah. Yes. And all, this, that, all that information and sort of description is in the agreement that's attached, I think, in the scope of services. So. Super. Thank you very much. Mary, uh, comment? I, I really appreciate this item and the responsiveness to the community and, you know, community-based organizations that we heard from back in October, that there was this gap of just coordinating and how big of a lift that is when you're working with some of these populations and what it means to be document ready. And so I really appreciate the creative thinking to come together for this case manager, but also that there's those folks kind of in the pipeline and how do we keep them housed while we get them there. And I think it's interesting, the timing's interesting as the headline in a neighboring jurisdiction this morning was talking about the number of units that are sitting empty, even when people have a voucher and there's an empty unit, but they're not being filled because this cordon, at least one reason is because of the coordination. Mm -hmm. And so um, I really respect that you recognized you know, a place to fix the system and then found a way to fix it. So thank you. Thank Would you, you care to make a motion I to approve the item? love to make a motion to approve this item. Thank you. Second. Okay. I have a motion by Sackett, second by Rice. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Okay. That passes unanimously. Thank you for bringing it to yes, us. Yes. Thank you. Now we're on to family self-sufficiency grant. Uh, and uh, Kimberly, I'm going to let you and your team tell us more about this. Okay, well, I have asked Samantha Gazgowski to, to provide our, some information to you today about our Family Self-Sufficiency Program. Samantha is our program manager for all of our supportive housing programs, and um, so I'm going to let her jump right in. Thank you. Um, so we were awarded um, through HUD a, a renewal grant for the Family Self-Sufficiency Program in the amount of $429,631. This um, does represent an increase from last year. It will help, um, it covers all of our salaries for our FSS program coordinators. Um, as well as this year, we can also use um, some of that funding for training for our staff. So we're really excited about that addition. Um, and then just to give you a little bit of background about family self-sufficiency and provide you some, with some updates of the program right now, um, this is a 
nationwide program, uh, it's often referred to as HUD secret, um, best kept secret, excuse me, uh, funded through HUD. And we've been offering this program for over 30 years at Marin Housing, and we have had over 400 graduates from the program. Um, it's a five to seven year program, and the overall objective is to increase family income and self-sufficiency and to reduce the dependence on public assistance. It's available to both public housing residents as well as those with housing choice vouchers and many of our special voucher programs. Um, and individuals that enroll in this program are assigned uh, to one of three of our FSS coordinators. Um, they do orientation. They are then enrolled in the program. They sign a contract of participation after they've developed several goals. Um, on a yearly basis or biannual basis, they'll do goal updates with their case manager. And then those uh, coordinators connect them to services in the community, um, mostly around um, job programs, uh, training programs, certificate programs, education, to work towards those goals of more self-sufficiency. Um, in addition, the, there's a financial incentive in, in this program, which is the escrow account. Uh, any increase in their wage um, means that they pay a higher level of rent. So they come in with their base rent, and then as their income increases, their rent increases. And what we do is take that difference and we put it into an escrow account for them. Uh, when they meet their goals and graduate, they are given that escrow account back. So it's a savings account for them. Um, some of our highlights, we currently have 124 participants enrolled. And of that, 82 have escrow accounts. Our highest escrow account currently is $65,000. Last year, we had a graduate um, of a little bit over 70,000. So if this individual continues in the program and graduates, hopefully we will exceed that. Our average escrow of those who have them is about $10,700 right now. And currently, we have approximately $878,000 in escrow currently. Uh, this year, we had a uh, FSS um, participant who graduated a couple of years ago go through our home ownership program. They uh, graduated with about $47,000 in escrow that they used to put a down payment on a home in the open market. So we were really excited to see um, them meet that goal. Uh, last year, we brought to the board an updated action plan. It reflected regulatory changes that came out um, through HUD around May of last year. Uh, we brought that here in September and submitted that to HUD and it was approved by late October. So we've been working with the current participants to um, have them sign new contracts of participation so that they can benefit from the regulatory changes that we uh, presented last year. And this also allows uh, for many of them to extend their time in the FSS program. So we're currently focusing on, um, so we've gotten most of those done, and now we're focusing on uh, enrollment strategies to increase enrollment. Um, we are going to be doing mailings with program information to HCV residents and subsidy holders. Um, we'll be updating our website that includes a new interest form, and we'll also be creating a QR code that people can scan that will go directly to that interest form, so better access to that. And we'll have those located at the office, both offices here, and then at our community space down at Golden Gate Village. Um, and we have a program coordinator that is on site at Golden Gate Village a couple of days a week in our, and will be at our new community space. 
And so we're looking to have that individual there when some of the other community-based organizations are coming in with job services and training programs and things like that. So it's kind of like a one-stop shop to really get people excited about the program if they're already going through like a different jobs program or something like that. Um, and we'll be working with, I'll be working with our new director of resident services to coordinate and engage uh, with residents at Golden Gate Village. Great, sounds very comprehensive, Samantha. Uh, questions for, oh, none down here, none there. Good, sounds like a solid program. Let's go to public open time. Anyone in the chambers like to speak about this? Hi, Aura. You know, we'll have that at the end, okay. just a couple of items, or, yeah, sure, no problem. Let's go online, see if there's any one online. Preston Mullins Peters, there are no speakers in the queue. Bring this back then. Uh, any closing comments? You excited to get going? <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right, ready to go. So I'm looking for a motion to authorize the executive director to ratify the HUD grant award in the amount of $429,631 to continue the family self-sufficiency program new and improved for 2023. So moved. Thank you. Second. Thank you. Moved by Lucan, second by Rodoni. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Great. Okay. Thank you, Samantha. Okay. 13E. Request to adopt resolution approving the Section 8 Housing Choice Voucher Utility Allowance effective July 1st, 2023. We see this every year. This is this year's installment. Would you like to give the report, Kimberly? Sure. Um, I, I'm going to ask Suzanne Joyce to sit in on this one, but um, yes, this is something we do every year. Uh, HUD requires that we do an evaluation of utilities, and if it's over 10%, we would reset them and, um, and help our, uh, provide our residents with a higher utility allowance. Um, and um, we do this both in Section 8 and in the public housing program, and today, last month, I think we brought to your to, to this board the public housing and today we're bringing the, the housing choice voucher section 8 program utility allowance so Suzanne you want to talk about that yes so <clears throat> basically um, this year with the housing choice vouchers utility allowance scheduled uh, we saw an average um, increase on um, heating I don't think her mic is on okay. So, um, in our multifamily utility allowance schedule for 2023, we saw an uh, increase for in heating for natural gas on an average about about 15%. Uh, with the electric and electric heat pump, um, it was an average about 19 to 20% from last year. Uh, our cooking with electric, um, the increase was about an average on 19%. Natural gas was about 17%. Other electric, uh, which includes lights, lighting, and appliances, was uh, basically for both multifamily and single family about an increase of 15% on the utility allowance. And uh, water heating was, uh, natural gas was approximately 14% and electric about 20%. This was just, it was common. I mean, mm -hmm. utility rates went up for everybody yes. this winter. Yeah. Okay. 
So would you explain again the mechanics of how this works, whether this is a supplement or reimbursement, or what is it that these residents will get? So basically, um, the, the um, participants, when they do pay for their utilities, they do get a utility allowance that is um, computed based on, on, on this utility allowance. So they do get the different, um, you know, depending what, if they pay electric heat, cooking, then they get this utility allowance to offset what they're paying to the landlord. And yeah, it's an so it, it, all of our residents pay thirty percent of their income towards their rent, and so this utility gets deducted off of that amount. So basically, if you know there was if the if their thirty percent of income was three hundred dollars, but the and the utilities were one fifty, their rent would their portion of the rent would be one fifty. So it does offset. And if the participant doesn't have any income, um, they actually get a check sent to them, a utility uh, allowance check that will help them to pay for the utilities. Is that monthly or is that lump sum or how does it's, that? It's monthly. All right. You know, I'm going to ask, uh, th since this does come back to us every year, if next year would you build in this information about how it works into the staff report? You, you allude Absolutely. to it here. But I know you've got the detail, and I think it's always helpful for us to understand how it works. So anyway, uh, yeah, here's your uh, yeah, significant increases. So th th we really need to pass this along. Board, not seeing any comments from our guests in the audience. No. Yep. The, on this item, uh, on this item, Marguerite. And then we'll have general open time after this. So, uh, is there any comment online on this item? Yes, first speaker is Clayton Smith. Please unmute. The staff report on this item confirms and reinforces my assertions as to the consequences of the Green New Deal's impact on energy resources and their costs. The impact of limited natural gas supplies and the consequent increase in their price is directly a consequence itself of the intermittency of the so-called renewable sources of electricity supplies. Natural gas is the go-to fuel source for peaking plants needed to fill these gaps when the wind stops blowing and sunlight is less than optimal. Given the limit to battery storage, this finds its resolution in rationing by price, which appears in all our PG&E bills, which we are paying, we're in which we are paying for these deficiencies now each and every month. The solution is to reopen the Santa Nofri nuclear power plant and stop deploying any more of these renewables until we have found additional natural gas supplies that can fill the gap that is necessary now as we have, have uh, reduced our base uh, provision of electricity due to nuclear and uh, other sources. I would also recommend that we do our best to see to it the Diablo Canyon plant um, stays open because it is providing, I think, about now 20 or 25 percent of the base load electricity for the uh, PG&E currently. Also, I think we need to build additional nuclear power plants 
for the long-term self-sufficiency of baseload electrical supplies, we are going to need to maintain our ability to live in a first world society in, in the future. Thank you. At the moment, Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Thank you, and we'll bring this back now for a motion to. Uh, I'll move to adopt the resolution on the utility allowances. Second. Thank you. Motion by Sackett, second by Lucan. All in favor? Aye. Aye. Thank you. That passes unanimously. And now, thank you, Aura and others, for your patience. This is uh, open time for public expression on other items, not on the agenda. So, uh, Marguerite, this would be the time to come up to. I'm Marguerite Moriarty, St. Anselm's and Marin Organizing Committee and Golden Gate Village friend. Um, I, um, I'm interested in, like, in Kimberly's report from last month um, under the power, people, and progress, um, specifically the wealth creation, debt forgiveness, that um, it seems like... Um, that program that the lady just spoke to speaks to some of the wealth creation. I don't know if that's in fact correct or not, but I have the Marin County race equity plan here from February of 2020, uh, 22. And, you know, I'm just really curious about what we are doing, not you people specifically, but all of us collectively when 63% of the people that live in Golden Gate Village, their average median income is $10,820. I mean, what are we doing to help those people? And then uh, we live in, as you know, the wealthiest uh, county, maybe in the country, um, but surely in the state, I think. Um, and I have here, this is from 2020, but uh, Citibank said that because of the cost of racism, I mean, nothing's going to change in our county until we take action to change the policies. And, you know, I mean, we're all the beneficiaries of a little, um, well, I lost my word right now, but, I, but you know what I mean. Message received, and we're at time. So, thank you for your. Are you, are you hearing it? I am I mean, hearing, and when we're done with this, I will respond. Thank you. Okay. And Next in this speaker, report, please. June of 2023. There's something, a, a deadline for wealth creation. Thank you. We're at time. Good afternoon. My name is Aura Hathaway, a longtime supporter, and also uh, for six years I did live in public housing and uh, was um, worked with the um, jurisdiction-wide resident council and the resident advisory board. 
Um, one, a couple of things that I wanted to, to bring up. One um, is that when I worked on the Resident Advisory Board, we created a, a maintenance chapter for the ACOP, and I would really like to see that go forward. Um, Lewis decided there was no mandate for it, and he didn't put it in. But what it does is it establishes who's responsible for what in terms of maintenance. Secondly, um, I do think that we need a report from Marin Housing Authority on the corrective action plan. We haven't heard anything about that in a long time. Next, I want to say something about the federal lawsuit, that even though maintenance is doing everything possible, and a lot of what's being done is in response to the federal lawsuit in terms of the inspections and in terms of Golden Gate Village uh, and the, and the uh, moms, uh, Main Street moms going around door to door, is to support the claim that there was deferred maintenance, intentional deferred maintenance for many years, which we know is true. And I hope that the supervisors will realize that what's happening now is definitely part of the corrective action plan and also in response to the federal lawsuit and I would hope that you would not just dismiss the federal lawsuit because of the the work that's being done now <clears throat> I also want to uh, second what um, the last speaker said um, that um, poverty is is now the fourth cause the leading cause of death and I, I think, I mean, I, I mean around, uh, for our whole country. I see I have 22 seconds left. So I do want to say something about the pandemic. Um, we haven't spoken about the pandemic for a while, but I am in, in um, and many people who have back rent that's due, that's not being covered, um, and that is ending the uh, effective deadline for that is at the December of this year. I could be up for an eviction uh, from where I live, and I'm paying full rent now, and I think that we need to uh, address that in our uh, housing uh, commissioner meeting. Thank you so much. Thank you. I just wanted to um, make a pitch of, uh, regarding outreach. Um, whether or not um, uh, MHA takes uh, um, Dennis's suggestion of the maintenance staff being there for four hours or not, I think that we sh you should keep doing what worked that one time and see if it keeps working. And that is flyers to every door. And it can be a half page. You know, that's 150 pieces of paper. And there are community connectors who could do that. I understand they're increasing the number of community connectors. So please consider trying that for a while. Okay. Is there anyone online who wants to comment? The first speaker is Johnson Reynolds. Please unmute. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm calling in again because... Um, I was reminded, and maybe it's not happening, but this is a question that came from another source, that uh, 1,300,000 1, congressionally directed spending requests for Marin City's Golden Gate Village public housing revitalization. Is there a uh, gap? Is that correct? It's still a gap in the revitalization, uh, the gap of... 1,300,000, uh, is that correct? That's the question. And if so, we're trying to reach out to our, our uh, Congress people to uh, say that that needs to be closed in some way or another, or other ways be closed. So just let me know about that. The next speaker is Clinton Smith. Please unmute. 
so often we hear about Marin County and money, 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 but I would suggest that for people who wanted a comparison, they might take a look at Beverly Hills, Manhattan Beach, Westwood, Bel Air, and uh, you'd think that we were living at a backwash. It's all very relative. But um, notwithstanding that, uh, yes, we do have Ross, which is a fairly small place, Tiburon and Belvedere. One thing I wanted to bring to uh, attention to people uh, is the uh, information that came out of uh, the, uh, I think it was SFGate, concerning what's happening in downtown San Francisco, which I think has a material effect on our uh, life here in Marin, the future of Marin, and also on all this housing stuff that's going on. Um, we have now a 31% office vacancy rate in downtown San Francisco, which I think even is higher than Manhattan. Uh, and it shows no uh, signs of ameliorating itself. And this is also uh, a ten, uh, a corresponds with a 66% decline in cell phone traffic in downtown San Francisco since uh, the, um, the beginning of the pandemic. Two-thirds decline, which is uh, manifesting itself in the ghost town level of economic activity in the core of the Bay Area. And what this portends for the future of employment in the Bay Area and its desirability as a place to live. And this is something I think we need to think very seriously about when we're thinking about housing and human communities. Thank you. The next speaker is Rebecca Helsel. Please unmute. Hi. Rebecca Housel, um, I'm a resident, I forgot to say that the first time, but um, I'm, I heard a lot today about grants from HUD and other federal agencies, and I know that's really critical for MHA and all the work they do. I was wondering about a grant focus on funding for the Golden Gate Village renovation. Um, first of all, as a taxpayer, um, and, and second of all, as uh, con concerned about um, making sure that the green and efficient buildings that um, Golden Gate Village end up with are paid for out of money that's available outside of um, these other agencies. For example, um, the cap and trade program in California throws off billions of dollars that can be used to, to benefit programs that are not just Golden Gate Village also, but the resilience um, team and Terry Green and some of the things they're working on. Last year, they did 19,500 new projects, 1.3 billion, with 933 million directly benefited and benefiting disadvantaged communities and low-income communities and households. And the IRA bill um, has uh, what, $25 billion for low-income communities. And it's direct spending to be used for affordable housing. And there's also part of it, I'm not sure what percentage, goes to the Environmental Protection Agency. We certainly have bad air and other issues in, in Marin City. And the U.S. Energy Department of Energy programs. So there's quite a bit of uh, money available to help Marin City with these the chronic problems they have of 
in health and flooding and other, you know, uh, fire abatement and other projects, but also Golden Gate Village. You know, we always talk about tax credit financing. And again, I like to say it is not the be all end all that everyone would like. It definitely makes developers wealthy, but um, please, uh, can you ha uh, put someone on the outside grant for um, Golden Gate Village and try to raise some money for them other than through tax credits and, and HUD? Thank you. The next speaker is Eva, please unmute. Thank you. Um, I always wonder why white property owners like Rebecca Helzel never want to, never seem to want to look at any sort of real restitution for the black descendants of the shipyard workers who are now the residents of Golden Gate Village. There is an argument for restitution. There is a, a now a trend for restitution, uh, land restitution. We saw that with Bruce's Beach. And yet neither Bruce's Beach uh, nor Bruce Risley uh, can be a topic of discussion amongst these wealthy white homeowners who suddenly descended upon the resident council and have, insofar as they've assisted it, they have also guided it in a very limited fashion. Um, what's clear looking at the archives is that there was a push for cooperatively owned housing. Bruce Risley's 1958 letter, as well as uh, a lot of the uh, 1950s coverage of uh, Marin City indicates that the county was only able to purchase Marin City from the federal government uh, using the rent money accrued um, from, from the buildings, from the black residents. It was by then a majority uh, black population, and those rent monies were used to purchase land, and then Golden Gate Village uh, was built to house only maybe an eighth of the existing population. Everybody else had to skedaddle. But more questions need to be asked about this because the, the clock is ticking. Um, and so it doesn't make sense to me um, to have these like little teeny um, fixes um, on, well, you need to do this about maintenance. You need to have better communication about the maintenance program. Why aren't you talking about actual restitution? These, these descendants are owed something and it shouldn't be misguided by these white women homeowners. Thank you. The next speaker is Anne Dever Rosenfeld. Please unmute. Hi, um, I've already had a chance to talk to Stephanie Moulton, uh, Supervisor Moulton Peters about this, but I wanted to raise the following issue so that other commissioners and the public could consider this also. Thank you, Stephanie, for going to DC, meeting with uh, Senator Padilla and getting the opportunity to apply for 1.3 million in funding uh, for Golden Gate Village. And thank you for allocating a portion of the funding, 57,000 about, to cover costs incurred by the resident council. Um, I wanna take this opportunity to share one of our big concerns. The Friends of Golden Gate Village have concerns about these funds and other funds that have been raised and will be raised to fund the pre-development and development of the Golden Gate Village revitalization. We know over the next few years, funds will be raised from a variety of sources, including tax credits from the developer HUD, Community Development Block Grants, HERO, High Efficiency Rebate Programs, et cetera. So my question is, is how will the public get a transparent accounting to know that the funds raised will be used for the purpose intended? 
namely the revitalization project for Golden Gate Village. We heard over the past several years um, at least three Office of a General complaints have been filed by the Golden Gate Village Resident Council questioning whether MHA has properly used HUD and other funding, so we are understandably concerned. We would like to know the county's plan to ensure transparency and accountability um, to the public. Thank you very much. I appreciate the time. The next speaker is Barb Kaye. Please unmute. Hello. Um, I wanted to um, add a little bit to what Ada was saying. Um, I think reparations is the most important thing we could probably think about, and I think probably the most important and meaningful way, or one of them, if not the most, would be to provide paths to home ownership. And that, as we know, is the biggest difference between the wealth, wealth divide between races and the ongoing um, insistence on only rentals and things as the methods supported by the county is not helping that. And the Friends of Golden Gate Village, who Ava is um, discounting to some extent, were trying very hard to get the residence plan, which included the whole co-op option taken. And we felt that the county did not give it any real consideration. And they have promised that they will, there will be ownership opportunities, just not at Golden Gate Village. And yet we see 825 Drake without any home ownership opportunities. I think we really need to change the focus to the county doing that type of thing. In the meantime, when we're stuck with the decisions they've made, we wanna make sure that they are at least carrying out those kinds of fixes and things. That's, you know, you can't, we wanna keep our eye on the prize, but at least provide some habitable conditions in the meantime, thank you. Preston and Peters, there are no additional speakers in the queue. Okay, uh, I want to make a few summary comments based on what I heard, and then I'll turn it over to our executive director for hers. Uh, we have a lot of initiatives in motion, and I'm hearing that it would be useful to ha come back with some status updates on how we're doing with uh, the services we're providing to residents of Golden Gate Village, uh, the, re, uh, the uh, resident investment fund, uh, which will also provide for some of the things, including pathways to home ownership that the last speaker spoke about. Uh, and then also the process of um, development, uh, developer selection and, and the, the whole timeline. Because there are, there are definitely other grants uh, at the uh, Palo Alto, East Palo Alto project. I met the head of the Smart Growth Council, Affordable Housing program who told me that yes, once you, are, you have a project that's uh, entitled and has some base funding, you can apply for Smart, Smart Growth Council, but not before then. So there's a sequencing of things that I think would be useful to clarify for all of us so that we know when we're doing what. And definitely uh, tax credits are not the only thing and we don't expect they'll be in this project either. Uh, so we'll, I will work with our executive director to bring those back as well as an update on the corrective action plan uh, in the next uh, month or two. 
So um, with that, Kimberly, uh, is there something that you would like to res uh, respond to as well, some additional comments? Uh, I just want to get the family self-sufficiency program that my, the staff spoke about it does, is, a, is a way of creating some equity, and we are really trying to target that program for our Golden Gate Village residents. Um, as, as Samantha shared, we're going to be in the community space and doing a couple days a week really focused there. Um, I also will report back on the cap and all the things that you've just meant, outlined. Um, the $1.3 million was not to for the revitalization, but it is for pre-development dollars, so I just wanted to clarify that as one of the speakers was unclear on that. And can you explain what pre-development dollars go for? Sure. There, pre-development is all, for all of the uh, physical needs and inspections, for architects, for surveys that need to happen. Um, for any kind of ground you know, planning that, that would happen prior to the actual work beginning. So we are looking at a, a budget of $4.3 million, and that is just a budget of an estimate based on a lot of our, our the, the staff's um, feedback on other projects. It's usually about the range, I think it's 1% 1, 1 of the project. So that's what we've come up with. But it, um, it will be very itemized, that budget. We're going to itemize um, how, we're gonna, how those mon that money will be spent. Our development consultant will be helping to create a monthly report that will be uh, distributed far and wide to whoever is interested in seeing. So we want to be very transparent with how those funds are spent. We are a HUD program, which we have a very stringent um, policy on how we do procurement. So we really have to do a whole policy. We can't just allocate funds out without a whole process put into place. So I just want to be really clear. It's, um, and I also wanted to say that um, OIG is a HUD program that in, in, if anyone can call into a hotline and say, you know, we're, we want you to look into something. And HUD takes these these complaints very seriously. And um, every time they get them, they investigate and they review the complaint. And um, in the three that were made by the Golden Gate Village Resident Council in the last 12 months, there was no finding. And it was very, it was very um, well looked at. So we are, we are um, handling our finances very well, as you um, may know through the audit that we've had. And um, so I just want you to, the public also to rest assured that we are handling our programs as um, HUD requires. And there is a lot of strings attached and a lot of guardrails on how all those funds are utilized in our community. And Kimberly, thank you for that. And, and also, I, I think maybe coming back and just sort of fleshing out the various paths in terms of programs that we have in place beyond family self-sufficiency that are trying to lead towards home ownership. I'm thinking about um, the BMR program that, and then the Marin City preference. Or, I mean, I'm, and I'm, you, you know all the programs. I don't. Um, but I think that there's multiple ways and using different funding sources through either HUD programs or otherwise that we're trying to, to create paths to home ownership where it makes sense. And then on the workforce development side, also um, a lot of work there um, within MHA's purview in terms of having, you know, tr trying to connect projects with actually 
a local hire, but then also like the county's fire foundry program, which is really trying to reach in to um, our communities, our lower income communities in Marin, and, cr and then create paths to you know living wage, good wage careers mm -hmm. uh, related to the fire service, EMTs, the whole, the whole nine yards. So I just, you know, there's a lot going on Many, many different programs, under, some under the purview of MHA, some outside. Um, but um, I just, I wanted to be more comprehensively responsive to the questions and comments and concerns that are coming up from, from folks who are here today and, and out in, on Zoom land. And I just want to say one last thing, too, on that. Um, with our the, the funding that was allocated from the county under our framework, we were able to hire the director of resident services. And even so far, um, we, have the Marin, we have the YMCA coming to the, to the community. We've got Health and Human Services, Career Point, Community Action Marin. We are really targeting. And, you know, I've been here for almost 23 years. And the fact that the, we have services right there in a community that really needs it speaks, I mean, it makes me feel really grateful. And it's making a difference. So, you know, if you, um, it, it is just starting. But I already can see that we're making, we're making an impact. And I do believe there is, there is, you know, to to um, to the speaker's comment of, you know, we have a community that's got, you know, a very about fourteen thousand dollars a year annual income. We um, we need to provide some services so we can provide opportunity and choice for people, and, and we're doing it. And thank you for making that effort. And you know, we're just starting. Thank you, Kimberly, and we'll bring back more info on yes. all this with some updates. And uh, with that, I'd like to thank everyone, and we are adjourned. See you next month.